Thanks for tuning in to the IGM podcast. We're so glad you've decided to explore God's word with us. We look forward to connecting with you in email at infointegritygm.com or online at our website, www.integritygm.com. We hope this podcast encourages you to grow in the knowledge of God through his word. Be blessed. Blessings to everyone today in the name of Yeshua the Messiah, in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Today, Alan and I are going to be speaking about Evangelical Perspectives Part 3, and today we're going to be focused upon the seeker-friendly movement or the seeker-friendly church, or sometimes it's called the seeker-sensitive movement. And I want to start off by reading some scripture verses. The first one I want to read is in Acts chapter 2 and in verse 38. And this is Peter preaching to the Jewish people after the outpouring of God's Spirit, which was the beginning of the fulfillment of the prophet Joel. And we look at this and he turns to the Jewish people after talking about their sin of rejecting the Messiah. And he says to them, let me read the verse prior to that. Now, when they heard this, the Jewish people, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said unto them, Repent. What does it mean to repent? Is to turn away from the direction that you're going, turn away from the sin contextually, and the greatest sin was the rejection of the Messiah. Repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. What he is saying is turn away from this sin, turn your eyes back towards Yeshua, the Messiah, that they would receive the forgiveness of sins and they would also receive the gift of the Holy Spirit just as they had received the gift of the Holy Spirit. When we see this, we have kind of a summary of the gospel here, what it's all about. Repentance leads us to the Messiah. And our faith and our identification in the Messiah who is Jesus brings about the forgiveness of sins that allows us to receive the Holy Spirit that was convicting our hearts in the first place. You remember the verse before, they were pierced to the heart. That means there was this conviction of God's Spirit that was telling them what Peter was saying was the truth. And so they had to turn away from their sin. They had to identify with Yeshua as the Messiah, Jesus as the Christ, receive the forgiveness of sins, and then they would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit as well. So when we look at this, it's really a summary of what the gospel is all about. So I wanted to read that verse, and then Alan, could you read in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20? Chapter 28 of Matthew, verse 19. Go therefore... And make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I wanted to read that verse as well because he sent us out into the world to make disciples. A disciple is one not only that has believed, but has dedicated their life to follow him. And over and over in the Gospels, Jesus says, you want to be my disciples, this is what you must do. So he's sending us out to make disciples, to go into all the world, into all nations, to preach about him, to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that he taught us. And lo, I am with you until the end of the age. This is the essence of what he is saying. And the reason why I wanted to read that verse is it's all about discipleship. It's not about converts, but it's about discipleship. Now, I want to read one more passage of scripture. It's found in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And these are some of Paul's last words to Timothy before he is executed around the year of A.D. 67. Let me read here. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, chapter 4, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. 
Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Let me read those three things again. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. That's people within the body of Christ. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. But you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And I wanted to read that passage of scripture and the other scripture verses for us to really look at three things here. One, what is the essence of the gospel? To repent and to come to Christ and to identify with him in order to receive God's spirit. And the spirit of God is what changes us from the inside out. Secondly, the mission of the believers or the followers of Christ, the disciples of Christ, is to go out and make disciples. It's not to make converts. It's not to just bring someone to a point of faith, but that that faith becomes who they are. And just as we are disciples, we want to bring others as disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's teaching them to observe all the things that I taught you. So we teach them the words of Christ. We teach them about the life of Christ through the way we live and the things that we speak. And we're to go out and to make disciples. And the third passage that I read is Paul's last letter right before he's executed to Timothy, who is the next generation that is to come up about ministry and what ministry is all about, especially his ministry, which was an evangelist is to preach the word, reprove, rebuke, and to exhort. And this is the instructions that Paul has given to Timothy about preaching the word of God. And those three elements are so important as we're looking at what the word of God is all about. It reproves, it rebukes, it exhorts. It breaks down the things that need to be broken down in our lives and then it builds up the things that represents God. And we see this in the life of Jeremiah, of what God called him to do as a prophet, to break down and to build up through the word of God. We see the same thing that Paul is saying to Timothy. You're, you have to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Be ready in season and out of season. When they're with you and when they're not with you, you preach the word because a time's coming they don't want to hear the word of God. They just want to accumulate for themselves teachers according to their own desires, wanting to have their ears tickled and not wanting the truth. And so I preface this whole subject of the seeker-friendly movement with these three passages of Scripture because I do think they're applicable to what we're talking about today. Now, this subject is very important because when we're looking at the church in America and in the Western society, it is dominated within the evangelical movement by the seeker-friendly or the seeker-sensitive movement that has really come to the forefront of everything that is going on today. We have family members, we have friends that are all part of this movement, and I'm not saying that this movement is a bad movement. But I'm saying that there are dangers in this movement because of the three passages of Scripture that we read today. And I want to talk about them. Let's start with the first passage of Scripture and about the essence of the gospel of what Peter was preaching to the Jewish people. And Alan, I, I want you to dialogue uh, with me. Repentance is what he's preaching from the forefront. Repentance is turning away from sin, turning away from the things of this world. They had sinned against God. They had rejected God by rejecting his Messiah. And Peter is preaching about their sin. And now it's time to repent, turn away from that. 
and come and identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance precedes the faith, or it goes together with the faith, just like John the Baptist was preparing the way of the Lord. If he was preaching a baptism of repentance, he's preparing the hearts that they know that they need the Messiah. They know that they need to repent of their life so that they can see clearly who the Messiah is. One of the things we've spoken about outside of this with the seeker-friendly movement is sort of their their ability to want to seem cool or seem relevant to the outside world, right, in, in hopes of this is going to draw people to come to church to get saved. But if you look at what, what happened in that passage in Acts, the Spirit pierced them to the heart. Yes. So they had the, the Holy conviction. Spirit, the yes. conviction pierced them. It wasn't because Paul was a great speaker. It wasn't because... Either or Peter, sorry, was a great speaker. Um, It wasn't because they wanted to be a part of this, you know, sort of outlaw sect, you know, as it were, of these people. It was because the Holy Spirit convicted them. And for me, it kind of starts there with that baseline. If someone is being convicted by the Holy Spirit, they need to hear the truth, and they need to hear what they need to do in their life and what they need to repent from. They may not know what it is at that time, but our responsibility, and Peter nailed it right there, is you need to lead them to repentance, lead them to the cross, because it's the Spirit's job to bring them in. It's not a program's job. It's not a, a pastor's. Well, let's, let's stop right there because you're hitting a very important point because one of the foundation pieces within the seeker-friendly movement is to bring people into the church, church growth, and not talking about sin, not talking about things that would drive people away But we want to get them into the church in order for them to experience what the church is all about, even to be part of the church, without preaching a strong message of repentance. This is what you're hitting on. This is what Peter, the first thing he says to them when they're saying, what must we do when he's preaching against the sin and what Jerusalem has done to their Messiah and how they rejected him and how he was crucified? He says, repent. And in this movement, they teach, if you want to grow a church, not all of them, and I want to say that, not all of them, but if you want to grow a church, don't start from the forefront talking about sin and repentance. That's wrong because it's going against everything that Peter is doing here. The thing that they needed to hear was about their sin. And the first thing he says to them turn around, repent of that sin, and come and identify through water baptism with the Lord Jesus Christ, the one that you crucified. This is what they were being pierced in their hearts. The conviction of God's Spirit was piercing them about this sin within their their life. And when you take away that element of the gospel of preaching against sin and preaching a life of repentance, And if you're living a life of repentance, of turning away from sin, you will see the only one that can save you is the Lord Jesus Christ. Identify with him. Put your faith in him. Take water baptism by identifying with him, and you will receive the Spirit of God as well. Yeah, and I think, you know, and I look at it, you know, and and we talk about sometimes planting seeds, seeds of faith in people, and, and, you know, sometimes... You're, you're speaking or you're evangelizing or talking to someone about Christ, and it just plants a seed. They may not be quite right there, ready yet to right. be convicted 100% by the Holy Spirit and say, I want to repent. But I think what Peter clearly kind of defines here was his mission, and our mission, I think, is the church, and, and you can dialogue with me on this, but it, it is to be more for that person that is ready to repent and to come in and say, yes. I want to turn my life to Jesus Christ. I want to be baptized in his name. I really want to follow him. And that's when they start to enter the body of Christ, enter the the quote-unquote church, which is the body of Christ. And that's how they'll receive the Spirit of God. And and I think what what happens, and and again, not all of the seeker-sensitive or friendly, but, but I think it seems they're more interested in seed planting than the body of Christ, than, than nurturing the body, and getting these people that are really, truly convicted by the Holy Spirit. And then that that can be a process for people over time. And, and I also want to clarify that, you know, when you repent, you're turning away. It doesn't mean you're getting it right every time, but it means you're making a really good effort, and the Holy Spirit well, your is helping you. Away. Yeah, your heart, yeah. yeah. 
has turned around. You're recognizing your sin. You're turning away from it. Your eyes are on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the thing that's a foundational piece in the, in the seeker-friendly movement is don't hit people too hard when I say hit. Don't preach to them too much on the front end. Love them. And, and sometimes they, some of these groups are defining love as tolerate them, bring them in, embrace them into the body because we want to grow this church. And it becomes repentance is something that's done much later. Yeah. And there's a foundational piece that's missing there because it's not about being part of a church, a building, or a local body. It's about discipleship, Matthew chapter 28. And you cannot come into discipleship if you haven't preached repentance on the front end and faith in Christ. And so that repentance, when you when you remove that repentance from the faith in Christ or identification with Christ, then someone can come in and say, I, I identify with Christ. I'm part of this church, but they're still living in sin. They haven't turned away from that sin, been convicted of that sin, and put their faith in Christ and identified with him. They have just started being part of a group. They're entertained. A lot of these churches are program-oriented, a lot of entertainment, a lot of excitement, a lot of things that would bring them into the body. But the only thing that can bring us into the body of Christ is repentance and faith in Christ. Repentance that leads us to Christ and a life in the Spirit that comes out of that. Part of this is, you know, I can't make you repent for something. You can't make me repent. You don't know my heart, right? I don't know your heart. Only the Holy Spirit does. Only God knows. So when someone is coming into this place, they're supposed to be you know, fed into the body of Christ by the shepherd, by the pastoral staff, whatever they call it. Someone that's truly ready to repent needs to hear this because they, you know, they don't need the mixture kind of message. And I think one of the foundational issues sometimes can be with the seeker-friendly is there can be a hypocrisy in the body where you say, this person is in, but they're not fully repented yet. The Holy Spirit hasn't hasn't drawn them to fully repent. And you're sort of showing someone that's ready to repent, well, hey, you can still kind of do your own thing. And it can kind of be confusing. Yes. And, and I think when the... Uh, and we'll know, get to that when we talk about 1 Corinthians 5. Yeah, yes. and that, that reminds me of the, you know, the parable of the, the seed sower, you know, where, where one came in, it got sowed, and then it just got washed away and it's kind of like you get someone that's really ready and hungry and if you're not watering them and saying repent turn from this if they're seeing that mixed message that can be kind of challenging for especially a brand new believer and the message of repentance is all the way through the bible it's never changed whether you're dealing with the law the prophets calling the people to repentance back to god to john the baptist that is calling the whole nation to repentance so that they can see the Messiah and truly see who he is. And so his whole message is to lead them to the Messiah. To the early apostles, as they are going with the message of Jesus, the Messiah, who laid down his life for our sins and that there is forgiveness in his name, Repentance is part of everything that they're dealing with. Repent from your idol worship. Repent from these things. Put your faith in Christ, and he alone will save you. From the letters that are written about believers not living in the right way, not going the right direction, repent of that, turn away from that, and come back to the truth. We look at these things, repentance is all the way through. And something you said earlier, Alan, it's not about church growth. That's one of the problems. As a minister of the gospel, as a pastor, as a shepherd, as an evangelist, it is not about growing a church. It is about discipleship. And if there is not repentance on the front end, how will you ever get to solid biblical discipleship within the body? And that is something some people look at the seeker-friendly movement and they say, well, it's really good with evangelism, but it's kind of weak on discipleship. And I turn that around and say, it's really weak 
on the on the gospel of of really giving the real understanding of the gospel therefore discipleship will always be weak and so the two will go hand in hand if i haven't come into the kingdom through repentance, through faith in Christ, and, and it's more about church growth and coming into a body, and it's more focused about them instead of on God and turning away from sin and faith in Christ and what Christ did for us. If that's not our central message, and it's more about getting this individual into the body, everything slowly deteriorates, and discipleship becomes very, very difficult. Yeah, and I think another sort of false foundation. And and sometimes it's well-meaning, I think, especially here in the West, we define sort of loving someone almost with tolerating them and just not wanting to, you know, hey, let's just not yell at Alan. He's he's doing this, but let's just love him. But in the reality, and it's all through God's word, this, this message of repentance is really a message of love from God saying, I want you to repent. I want to draw you back to me. And it's not because he's a taskmaster, you know, up there with a with a stick ready to hit you when you do something wrong. It's because he knows what's best for you. And I think this gets lost just in our culture here in the West, and especially now we're in this politically correct, you know, don't say anything, don't offend anybody, don't tell anybody they're wrong, you do what you want to do. But but throughout the Bible, the prophets, the Old Testament, they, they were calling specific things out turn from this, repent. New, New Testament, as well. New Covenant yeah. is doing it as well. Paul, you know, does that, you know, and you'll talk about that, I'm sure, with the repuve, reprove, rebuke, um, exhort. But but that's a false mindset I think we can have is where it's, if we love this person, we're not just going to tell them they're doing wrong. We're just going to mm-hmm. accept it and, and the Spirit's going to work it out. But no, it's a, right. it's a message of repentance and saying we love you and you need to repent because we know that's what's going to be best for you. And it's not because we judge you. It's not because we're better than you um, with our own issues and the own things God has delivered us from. It's because repentance is the way to come to fully walk in the light with Christ and to you know have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And, and let's talk about that word uh, to judge. And we are instructed to judge, and we judge every day. The, the way that judging is condemned by God is in the sense of hypocrisy and in order to condemn. We judge every day about what is right and what is wrong to help people. And we judge within the body of Christ. This is something that is talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We judge within the body and we judge to help people. If you're a father, Alan, You have to make judgment every single day for those children to make sure that you're teaching them the right things. If they're going the wrong direction, you make a judgment. That's the wrong direction. However, you're judging in a righteous way. And Jesus says, when you judge, judge righteously. Now, if you are teaching your children, you judge that some of them are experimenting with cigarettes, and you look at them, and you say, no, don't ever do that, but you smoke yourself, then there's hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. And you also don't look at those children and to judge them, to destroy them, but you want to not be a smoker yourself. You want to look at those children and you want to speak with not with hypocrisy, but with a genuine heart. That smoking will destroy your life. And you're not condemning them, but you're judging to lead them in the right way. That is righteous judgment. Yeah. And the world is already judged by the law of God that judges sin. The Spirit of God speaks and convicts the world concerning righteousness, sin, and judgment. And so when we come with the gospel, we're coming with the good news to a world that has embraced sin and the message of Christ is eternal life and the forgiveness of sins to people that have already been judged as sinners. And we bring them the good news. It's not the bad news, it's the good news. In him, there's forgiveness of sins. Turn away from that life and come and embrace the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will receive the Spirit of God. You will be changed from the inside out. And you can be on this path of discipleship that you and I have been sent out by the Lord Jesus Christ to make disciples. And it's very basic, it's very simple, 
but sometimes in these movements it gets very muddied yeah. and it becomes very confusing and you use the word tolerance as love and that is true that love is being defined many times in the world as tolerance and so someone's coming living in sin well don't start speaking about their sin well that's not what jesus did mm-hmm. with the lady at the well go call your your husband mm-hmm. dealing with her sin no you have five husbands dealing with her sin and confronting her sin at that point within her life discipleship with those that were wanting to follow jesus on the front end alan he was saying you want to be my disciple this is what it's going to cost you it's going to cost you everything and i have to be first within your life on the front end and i remember explaining that to a group of young people actually coming from a bible college and explaining that on the front end and wanted their reaction to this that when we delay discipleship of confronting what it's going to cost you on the front end and we put it on the back end it's very hard to get to that i asked the young people what do you think about this did jesus do what was right here on the front end you want to be my disciple you have to deny yourself take up your own cross and follow me he who does not hate his own wife and children and he goes on to talk about different things in their life that are precious to us cannot be my disciple what he is saying he has to be everything first and foremost and everything in our lives and people need to know that on the forefront when i said what what do you feel about that the young people said i'm not sure I got to think about that. I said, it's not my words. This is what Jesus is saying to people that want to follow him on the front end. Yeah. A lot of times, and I've been guilty of this too, is we're almost afraid to let the Holy Spirit work in their life and to convict and to, to draw them. And we think by saying that and doing that and they turn away that we're actually doing a disservice and we didn't talk to them the right way, right? It's just a a mental shift that that you need to have because, you know, you look at, um, we talked about this the other day, the rich young ruler, you know, he said, go and sell everything. And 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 the rich young ruler left. On the front end. Yeah, on the front end. And he left disappointed. We don't know what happened to the rich young ruler. And I think we'll find out in heaven one day. But the Holy Spirit could have convicted him later. But but he needed to come to that place where he was ready to sell everything. Because if he didn't, he was not going to be a true disciple. And his heart was not going to be in it. And whether it was a month down the road of following Christ, you know, with with the disciple group, or a year or two years, if his heart wasn't there on the front end, and I think Jesus saw that and knew that, that you need to have that. And and a lot of times we're scared that we're pushing people away when we're telling them the truth, when they get upset, when we're having a hard conversation. But that's what Christ did. That's what Peter did. And that's where the Holy Spirit can come in. You don't know if that person leaves. They may have yelled at you, cursed you out, who knows. But 10 minutes later, the Holy Spirit could be speaking in and say, Scott was right. You need to listen to this. And they just think about it, think about it. And then they come to that. They come to Christ when, when they have fully given that up. And it may not be when we see it. And we really have to trust the Holy Spirit and not just look at this immediate. Like you said, it's not about conversion. It's about a discipleship. Well, it's about coming to Christ in the right way. Yeah. Repentance, faith in Christ that leads to discipleship. It leads to a life in the Spirit. And so if there's not that turning away from sin and embracing Christ, that Peter is saying, and you too will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, if they're coming into the body through any other way, it's not about a life in the Spirit. And so Jesus is constantly doing this on the front end. The apostles are doing it on the front end. The prophets are doing it on the front end. It's consistent throughout Scripture. And who is doing a disservice to that individual when they're not confronting them with love, speaking the truth in love about their sin, and they're allowing them to be part of the body even though they're still living in sin? Yeah. And so let's go to the third passage. And this is what is happening not in every seeker-friendly church, but it is a foundational piece. And some of those churches have gone off the cliff into what I would say apostasy because they have become pantheistic 
and they don't want to judge anybody. They don't even want to call anything right or anything wrong. They just want to love people. What are they saying? Tolerate people. And you see some of their pastors that were part of this movement, that led this movement, that have fallen into apostasy, and they believe all roads go to, uh, lead to God. Mm-hmm. Pantheism. And they're not willing to say that there's judgment or there's hell or anything, they say, I would just want to speak about heaven and speak about salvation. Why do I want to go and judge somebody? That's up for God to do. And they will be asked, would you go to a, a wedding of a homosexual? And they'll say, yes, I will go. And I was asked that recently, and I said, no, I will not go. And the reason why I would not go is because I love God and I love them. And I do not want to approve of something that will destroy their lives and separate them from God. This is sin. When we look at the whole subject of discipleship, how do we even begin discipleship? Repentance, identification with Christ through a life in the Spirit begins this road of discipleship. And if we've taken that away, how can we ever have strong disciples? Why are they even part of the church? Is it because of the music? Because of the 20 minutes of preaching? Is it because they're encouraging us to be a better person? Because they haven't judged us? Then we can go out and live any way that we want to and still think that we're part of the body of Christ. And some of these churches and some of these leaders have gone off of a cliff because they've embraced that. Other ones have to recognize There's something wrong in the foundation of our movement. It's not about having a big church. It's about the kingdom of God, and it's about discipleship. And Jesus downsized in order to get to what true discipleship was all about. And after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, they turned the world upside down. And one thing I want to say before we move on to this third passage in 2 Timothy is this. These churches are exploding. Uh, They have relationships. They're growing. They're involved in missions. And they're taking the philosophy that is here overseas and it's having a detriment overseas. Uh, Now, they, they cannot work in a foundational place overseas. They cannot go into Varanasi, India, and really, really plant the church. They cannot go into an Islamic country and to do that. You know, you can have all the smoke and all the lights and all the greatest program that you want. That does not produce the church. What they are seeing in their churches is church transfer, predominantly, from one church to another. Others cannot compete in what they're doing, so it's church transfer, but the kingdom is not growing. In fact, these churches are large, they're growing, they're in every denomination today because it's more of a philosophy and a movement that can go into every single denomination and group. However, in every city in this country, when we look at these large churches that are growing, less people identify themselves with Christ than at any time within American history right now. So they're not turning the world upside down. It's just the opposite. Jesus downsized to get to true discipleship. Those few turned the world upside down with a life in the Spirit. In this movement, their churches are growing, but the kingdom of God is getting smaller and smaller. It's just the opposite. It's just the reverse because there are fundamental foundational pieces that are missing. Yeah, we have a great business saying, and a lot of people probably heard of it, but it's, uh, you know, quality over quantity. Jesus practiced that, and you see God practicing that, you know, all throughout Israel and Judah's history. You know, he's looking for quality over quantity. Very much. And that brings us to this last passage that we read at the beginning. Let's look at that. Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 4 about preaching the Word of God, be ready in season and out of season. That means that at all times we have to be ready to preach God's Word when they're with us and when they're not with us. When they're saying, Amen, when they're saying, Tell that guy to sit down. You know, Jeremiah, they told him to sit down for 40 years, and he reproved and rebuked and exhorted as well. 
So you have to be ready in times of persecution, times of peace, times when people are with you, and times when they're not with you. I was always quoted that verse in the context of when you've studied and when you have not studied, and that's not what it's talking about there in that context. So to reprove and rebuke is breaking down. When we preach the word of God to believers, we must reprove and rebuke. That's the breaking down of things in our lives that need to be dealt with that do not honor God. It could be little things, it can be attitudes, it could be sins that are propping up, it could be wrong mentalities, wrong motives, whatever it is, when you look through the New Covenant Scriptures, they're reproving and rebuking all the time to break down those things in our life and to exhort the one-third of the equation is to build up the things that honor God, the things that honor Him, the things that build up the body of Christ, the things that reflect His character. So you have to break down in order to build. You have to sometimes, if you have a rotten house, you've got to break it completely down and you've got to lay a new foundation so you can build a house that you could be proud of. Yeah, another another saying I like, it's going to get worse for it gets better. <laughs> and sometimes yes. you got to, you know, we look at that where, you know, doing a, a demolition project right. and some remodeling, it's going to be a mess. There's going to be some trash bins and boards everywhere and, and messy paint, but... Isn't that been true in our lives? Yeah. Things yeah. that uh, had to be broken down before we could really reflect the character of God. Yeah, and I, I like that you said it. So there's three pieces of this, re- reprove, rebuke, exhort. And I'd almost say, and, and you, you tell me if you agree on this, you, if you look at, you know, so say you're a shepherd, if you're a pastor, if you're someone that's been in ministry a long time, can you look at your body of work and say two-thirds of it was reproving and rebuking, and a third was exhorting, or somewhere in that, that general sense. And But if you say 90% of it was exhorting, and you just have a little 20% that was doing the other two, I mean, Paul's very clear about what he's telling Timothy to do, yes. you know, as a minister. And he says, preach the word. Yeah. And, and let me spend a little bit of time on that. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. So when you take two-thirds of the equation out, and you're only giving one-third of the truth, then it's almost operating in the sense of dishonesty. If we preach the Word, and what I'm talking about is not a topical message that we've created, but if you preach Isaiah, if you preach Jeremiah, if you preach Amos, if you preach from John's writings, if you preach Paul, if you preach Peter, if you preach the life of Christ, then you're going to reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Amen. But if you go and take my own message and you use the Bible as a proof text in order to fit this category of this topic that I have, then I can spend my whole time exhorting. I can spend 90% of the time exhorting. I can spend 95% of the time exhorting. And there is some... Uh, ministers that I hear on television, and I'll watch them, even though I, it's hard to listen to them, they have the same message every single week, and it's all exhortation. For the last 20 years, yeah, I've never heard them rebuke, I've never heard them reprove, but I've never heard them preach the Word. I've never heard them preach Isaiah. I've only heard them do topical messages and sermons And most of it is something that's focused on the individual, but it's not about the original intent of what Isaiah was preaching over a a 60-year period. And that's what I'm saying. So when Paul's saying to Timothy, preach the word, he's not saying go out and just create what you want and use the Bible as a proof text. Mm He, he told, told him earlier, study to show thyself approved. A workman needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Paul's investing a lot into Timothy because he's the next generation. As these churches go to the next generation and the next generation, the big fear is as discipleship is not there the way that it should be, The second and third and fourth generations, because they're building on a shaky foundation, 
many of them are going to be so far away from the gospel. And this is what we're starting to see as some of these churches are going off of a cliff. And what I would like to say before we turn to 1 Corinthians 5, if you don't mind turning to 1 Corinthians 5, is this, is let's get back to the Word of God. Let our pastors and teachers and our staff know the Word of God, preach the Word of God, teach the Word of God. Get out of the purpose-driven life, the purpose-driven church, this book, that book, the shack, we can go on and on. All of these groups that we have that we're connecting with people with similar interests and we have relationships, get out of all of those things and get back to the Word of God and allow the Word of God to reprove and rebuke and to exhort and to do what needs to be done within the body of Christ that we can be a strong body ready to go through anything to give a testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have a biblical worldview. And these other things cannot give us a biblical worldview. In fact, many of them reshape our worldview into something else. So I want us to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and I think this chapter can summarize the danger of the seeker-sensitive movement. I do not believe that Jesus would have been invited to speak at a lot of these churches. If you see of his messages to the seven churches of Asia, definitely would not be asked to be a conference speaker. (laughs) You hear Paul, you hear Jeremiah, you hear Isaiah. No. What What about Paul coming against false teaching, bad teaching, and calling the people dogs? The Bible's not tactful. It's not hyper-affirmation. The Bible breaks down and it builds up, and sometimes these individuals use politically incorrect language. Amos calls the women of Israel in the north cows, the cows of Bashan. Paul calls the false circumcision dogs. Jesus calls the Pharisees vipers, sons of the devil, because they're teaching things that are leading the people away from God. And so when you look at this context, when we preach the Word of God, wow, it's harsh. It it is something that, that confronts the world with its sin that draws us back to a life of repentance to put our faith in Christ, who is our Lord and our Savior and our only hope. And so when we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, let's look at this passage Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, and he hears a report. There's a lot of issues in the Corinthian church. They should have grown up, should have been mature, but they're still babes. They're still immature because of all these problems. But there's one situation within the church that's so bad. Paul has to write to them to intervene because they're not doing the right thing. They're allowing a man to live in sin and still be a part of the body of Christ. And I want us to read this chapter, if you don't mind, the whole chapter here. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. It is actually reported that there is a more immorality among you, an immorality of such kind as does not even exist among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. You have become arrogant and have not mourned instead, so that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. For I, on my part, though absent in the body but present in the spirit, have already judged him who has so committed this as though I were present. In the name of our Lord Jesus, when you are assembled, and I with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven, so that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us not celebrate the feast, not with the old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with the immoral people. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world, or with the covetous and swindlers, or with idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. 
but actually I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reveler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? But those who are outside, God judges. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. And I, I want us to look at this chapter. There's not a more fitting chapter for what we're facing within this movement that have true believers, that have wonderful pastors sometimes, people that love God, that are trying to reach this world for Christ. They need to read 1 Corinthians chapter 5 over and over and over again. When you allow people that are living in sin to be part of the body of Christ, and I want to define that, they identify with Christ and they say, I have faith in Christ, but they're still living in sin. They're still living with their boyfriend, their girlfriend. They're still living in homosexuality. They're still living in whatever sin that is consuming them. Those are things sometimes that we can identify uh, very clearly. But if they identify with Christ and they're part of, their, of your church, but still living in sin, and if you identify them as part of the body of Christ, you are arrogant and boastful before God. And you will destroy the body of Christ. And you better change your philosophy of ministry. You had better preach a message of repentance, of turning away from sin and embracing Christ and a life in the Spirit. And discipleship is growing in the things of Christ, everything that He commanded us. And you better start preaching the Word of God, reproving, rebuking, and exhorting. Because if you allow people that are living in sin to be part of the body and they identify with Christ, then you're going to destroy the whole church. A little bit of leaven leavens the whole batch. If you allow it, the body of Christ is being destroyed all across the nation. And this is what will happen to the next generation and the next generation. And they will be so far removed from basic teachings of God's Word. And so it's very important for pastors to wake up, churches to wake up, start thinking about these things. I want everybody from the outside that comes to listen to the message, and the message is going to be about repentance and faith in Christ, that you need to turn from your sin. And if they embrace Christ, they have to have a willing heart that's convicted by God's Spirit to turn away from that and to embrace Christ and to identify with Him, not to live in sin, but to have the bondage of sin broken within their life. And it's an arrogant church that says that they can live in sin and we still recognize them as part of the body of Christ. And so it's time to wake up and it's time to look at these things through the lenses of God's Word. And some of these churches that are part of these associations don't actually preach that, but they are, they're in association with those that do preach that. That's the problem. That's another issue that is there, is that they say, well, we don't believe that, but you're in association with this church, and they do allow people that live in sin to be part of the body of Christ. And that's arrogance, and that's boastfulness, and that's destroying the body of Christ. I'm going to break that association because that's not who we are. We're redeemed, purchased by God. Our heart belongs to God. Our minds are focused on the things of God. It's a life in the Spirit. I don't want to live in sin. I'm not going to embrace the world. If I embrace the world, the love of the Father is not in me. And I'm going to put my eyes on Christ. And when I do sin, I'm going to know it as sin. And I want reproof and I want rebuke so that I can be built up in the things of God. And I'm not going to allow it to take hold of my life again. It's a victorious life. No one who practices sin, John, John's going to say in his first letter, no one who practices sin is born of God. You cannot live in sin and say that I'm born of God, that I have been reborn by the Spirit of God. 
No, it is the power of God. It's the grace of God that breaks the bondage of sin. Paul's going to write this in Romans chapter 8. Sin shall not be master over you because you're not under law, but you're under grace. It's the grace of God that breaks the bondage of sin. It's not the grace of God that allows me to say I'm part of the, Christ, uh, I'm part of the body of Christ and I'm still living with my girlfriend. No. Repent. Identify with Christ. Embrace Him. Take baptism that says that I'm turning away from that and I'm going to start a life in the Spirit that reflects the message and the life and the commandments of Christ. Amen. Deny myself, take up my own cross, and follow Him. Amen. So it's simple. Hopefully it's powerful today. I know Alan and I are on the same page. I know some of you that are listening are on the same page. We've had discussions with you on these issues. Hopefully it was clear today, and hopefully... There are great churches that are out there that are growing, that are part of this movement that can say, hey, we're growing, but is the kingdom of God being built? Is discipleship taking place? Why are the people in my church, why are they so weak? You've got to look at the whole package of what we're doing and just really get back to the word of God. And in that, I I really want to close, unless you have something else, Alan. No, I think they covered it. I'd love to see it instead of seeker-friendly, seeker-repentance movement. You yeah. know, that's what we should should yeah. start working towards, a seeker-true repentance movement. Yes. And then it's a brother and sister discipleship. Right. And seeker-repentance, I've never heard that, but it's it, it kind of <laughs> intrigued. Repentance is about seeking God yeah. and the things of God. And our focus is ministry to God first. And so everything is about him. So there needs to be this repentance that comes back to everything that we do. Heavenly Father, take this message. Some things we might not have been so clear, but God, you can make it clear. You can bring clarification to people that are still asking questions in their own minds. But Lord, reprove and rebuke me, Alan. Let your word do that within our own lives. And Lord, let it exhort. And let there be the preaching of God's word that comes back to the body of Christ. Not just to the sinner, not to the person that is separated from you, but Lord, we preach the good news to them. Lord, they need life. They need salvation. Lord, let them turn away from that life and let them embrace Christ. But Lord, let us preach the word. Let us know the word of God also within the body of Christ. And let there be a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. And let there be the word of God that is in our hearts, Lord, that we may not sin against you. And may we not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And Heavenly Father, let your word come alive within the body of the Messiah today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you'd like to learn more about IGM or have any questions about this podcast, feel free to reach out to us at info at integritygm.com and connect with us on Instagram at integrity underscore global and Facebook at Integrity Global Missions. If you like our podcast, please share it and leave a review. Thank you for listening. Have a blessed day.